Tonight, I'm not sure all that's going to happen because I'm so excited about the stuff that I'm going to teach and I've been, I've been preparing for stuff and there's just so much. Have you guys ever been in that situation? It's like you got so much that you don't know even where to start. So here's what I think I'll start. I'll start by asking you guys. Well, first let me just tell you where we are. We're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is called Acts because it's about what the Holy Spirit of Jesus did. That's what an act is. What the Holy Spirit of Jesus did through the people who were following him in the years after Jesus stepped off this planet. The feet of Jesus were on this planet. At one point, the feet of Jesus are no longer on this planet. He stepped off this planet, but he stepped off with a plan to come back. And he gave us a job to do. He gave, he gave these disciples of his a job to do. They passed it on to other people who passed it on to other people who passed it on to other people who passed it on to us at the Cornerstone. So we didn't just come to talk about stuff that happened a long time ago. We came because we want God to do something in our life that's going to change the world around us. Okay? So... Annika's telling me that I didn't say anything about Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible because this is a Bible study, especially tonight. And if you're a person who's, who's got, who takes a, who's got a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Throw those to people who need them. Somebody's raising their hand over here. No? Okay. There, right there. Um, if, if, you don't, if you haven't read the Bible much and you don't know where you're supposed to be turning to because we're going to turn to several places... The person next to you probably has read it enough, and there's also a table of contents in the front. And if you're really stuck, then just raise your hand and say, Steve, I don't know where you're going, so please wait. Okay? You probably won't do that. But we really want you to be able to uh, follow along, especially tonight. So the story of this explosion, the most, the most influential man in history, started the most influential movement in history that has turned into the biggest movement in history. We're, all, we're about one-third of the world population at least, cl at least claims, whether they actually do or not, but they, ex they at least claim that they are followers of this man, Jesus. That includes us in this room. So we've been, we've been studying how this movement got started by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And Daniel led last week. Thanks, Daniel. That was great. Thank you for teaching us. And so what we're starting tonight is in verse 16, just kind of overlapping a little bit with where he was last week. But first, let me ask you guys a question, okay? Okay, here's my question for you. Thank you for laughing. Okay, my question for you is, have you ever told somebody not to do something and they did it anyway? If you've taken care of kids, you've had that experience. It's like, don't do that. They're like, thanks for telling me, I'll do it. Okay, so let me tell you about, I don't know if my, I hope my wife isn't watching tonight because I'm going to tell you something I told her not to do, but she did anyway, and it's a good story, so don't, don't anybody text her or anything. Oh, you can. Okay. You know, I, I remember the days when I was as, as poor as you guys. I was poor. I was poorer. I remember when I, I didn't have money for food, and um, I, somebody gave me a car, which was really good because I'd been living in Hollywood, and I'd been hitchhiking from Hollywood over to Zeus Pacific University so I could see my wife once a week. And hitchhiking in Hollywood gave me some really good stories that I could tell you guys about, but that's not the point of my story right now. So somebody gave me a car so I didn't have to hitchhike anymore, and it was a lot safer. So um, I drove that car for a while, and then the transmission fell out in the middle of the freeway, and so... And so my grandma, 
actually was still alive then, and she was living in southern, down near San Diego, and she said, you know what, I'm going to sell you my car for $600, and you just got to pay me $50 a week, and I was like, yeah, I just hit it rich, so I went down and got this 72 Dodge Dart, I know that was, that's like ancient history for you guys, and well, we were, well, and then I, I got married, and during those five years or so after we got married, before we moved to Japan, we had seven hit-and-run accidents. I mean, you would have thought there was a conspiracy to kill us. In fact, I, one of those hit-and-run accidents was personally a guy hitting me and, run, and trying to run over me. Um, yeah, I've told you that story before, but that's not this story. Okay, so, so I had this cool green Dodge Dart that said happiness is green and being a grandparent on the back, and I couldn't get that sign off, and so I was... It, it got worse because after some of these hit-and-run accidents, the back of the, the car was smashed up, the front of the car was smashed up, and the driver's side of the car was smashed up. So I couldn't get in through the driver's side. I had to crawl around and go through the passenger's side. But that was okay with me because I had a car to drive. And so um, it had, that car had some other funny idiosyncrasy, weird things. Like, for example, the vent there was just like a window on the floor. So you opened the, the vent and the air poured in. It was so cool, like really cool. And... Um, and the gas gauge didn't work. But the, 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 the one thing was is that you, if you started if you started to drive it, and if like you're stopping a stop sign and you put your put the foot on the gas, if you put the foot on the gas too fast, the car died. So that got me in some dangerous situations. But the most dangerous one was my brakes. So the brakes worked perfect. <laughs> the brakes worked perfect as long as you pumped them about seven times as you were trying to stop. Yeah, just super fast. And um. Yeah, yeah, if you know, nowadays I just buy a car that had, I mean, I just get a car that worked. But back then, I all my money went towards either trying to make my wife happy, but really more of it went towards great musical equipment. Because back then, that's what I was. If if you had money, what are you gonna do? You gonna you gonna buy a car? No, you are gonna buy. Uh, so I had cool amplifiers and cool guitars, and you guys can listen to my music on YouTube if you want. Um, can somebody please put it on Spotify? Okay, so that's all the intro to the silly story that I'm trying to tell you. So I got this cool car, and I told my wife, that's where I was, I told my wife, I always told her, do not drive my car. And she's like, don't worry, I'm never driving that car. Um, so we had an agreement, right? But just like I said, sometimes you tell somebody to do, not to do something, do it anyway. So one night, she's coming home at like 11 o'clock from shopping, which why my wife shops at 11 o'clock at night anyway, I don't know. But she's a great wife, so she went shopping. And she comes home, and of course, I'm a good husband, and I'm asleep. And um, <laughs> so she's actually using her sister's car, and she thinks my sister's car is a lot nicer than my husband's car, so I'm going to put my husband's car on the street and... I'm going to put my sister's car in the parking spot. But I told her not to drive my car. Never, never drive this car. You got to know how to drive it if you're going to drive it. So she gets in there, and she's going to move my car. And she starts up. Because it started really well. And so it's, um, she takes it, and she puts the foot on the brake and puts it in reverse. And it goes, smash into the garage behind <laughs> And, whoops, did I just make hole in the wall? And um, she's freaking out. And, of course, we, everybody in our apartment complex comes out, and they're all like, what's going on? And, it's, and um, she's just about crying, so she's there, and she sticks it in drive, and it goes, whoosh. And, and there's a, thankfully, 
There's nobody in front of her. There's a curb there, and she flies up on the curb and hits a brick wall and breaks the brick wall. So now we got a broken garage on this side and brick wall on that side. And she's got a broken heart, and she comes in and wakes me up, and I'm sleeping, and she says, Your car is possessed! And I said, I told you not to drive it. So I spent the next day fixing the garage and fixing the wall. And the people whose garage that was were out of town. So when they got back, I'd fix that garage so well that they didn't know it was broken. <laughs> except they had a big piece of smashed sheetrock inside of the garage that I think we finally confessed to. Okay. So, you guys know what that's like. When you tell somebody to not do something, they do it anyway. If you guys don't know my wife, you need to come and hang out with her. Just don't have her drive my car. Um, okay, what I want you guys to think about tonight is the times where God has told us what not to do. Where God has warned us, and we just act like, I think I got it, God. Don't worry about me. I think I can handle this one. Okay, so just keep that in mind, and we might get that far tonight. If not, then I'll bring that story back up next week. But starting verse 16 of Acts 13, standing up, Paul, the Apostle Paul, motioned with his hand and said, this, remember, this is Paul's first recorded sermon. He's been practicing. Barnabas has been training him, and he's about to preach the Word of God so well that it gets recorded by Dr. Luke in the Bible. Standing up, Paul motions with his hand and says, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And I just want to say, guys, listen to me. I mean, I, I wonder, there's times where I wonder, did anybody hear anything I said at the merge last night? So I'm just asking you guys, listen, listen to what I have to say today because what I have to say today is from the Lord. So who's Paul talking to? It's important that you guys notice who's, who's Paul talking to right here. Say it again. The people in the synagogue, which is which people? There is, they're Jewish people and people who are, become, are basically becoming Jews or Jew, 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 Gentile people who have been converted into Judaism. Now, do you th let me ask you guys this. He's about to speak here, and do you think that the, the message that he gives to these people would be different if he was speaking to other people. Yeah, of course. If he was speaking, I mean, if he was speaking to a group of people at the Cornerstone or in America or in Japan, he's going to speak differently. If he's, if he's speaking to a different group of people, he's going to speak differently to those people than he speaks to these people who are Jewish and who know the Bible, who know the Old Testament. He understands what these people value, and he's going to speak to them on their level. Okay, that's important. Because as we're, as we're sharing the gospel, guys, there's times where I've heard people share the gospel like they thought they were preaching a sermon in a, in a, in a, in a, in a church. I was, I was driving. We were doing an outreach. I was driving, and I had uh, an international student sitting behind me and uh, a seminary student who, who I don't know really well. He was just a part of this outreach thing. And we passed the Seventh-day Adventist church and the international student who was sitting back there said, so what, what's Seventh-day Adventist? What is that? Is that like different than other churches? So I didn't want to give him too much 
stuff that he didn't need to understand. But I thought, this is opportunity. Let's share. Let me just share just some basic things with them. So I shared just a little bit, but then I didn't have to share too much more because the seminary student who's learning this stuff in class took over. And, and he went through words like sanctification and glorification and justification and salvation. And this wonderful, polite international student said, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's, it looked, from that guy's perspective, like this guy was getting everything he was saying. I don't think this guy was getting what he was saying. And finally, when he felt like he really had explained to him, he just, he'd gone through most of the Old Testament. And I guess I don't want to mock. I, just, I was just thinking, Lord, don't let this, this poor international student give up on us because of what's going on here. And, of course, the seminary student's motivation was good. And then finally, he, you know, he asked him, you know, would you like to accept Jesus into your heart? Um, so you can be saved. And I don't think the international student had any idea what he was talking about. But he said politely, yeah, let me think about that, and, and I'll let you know. And I don't think it was that the international student was opposed to Jesus. I just don't think he got the connection between the question about this Seventh-day Adventist church and what all the other stuff that, that this seminary student was talking about. Okay, here's what, I, here's what I want you guys to think about. The way that you guys present the gospel to the people who you work with or the, the atheist friends that you have across the street or the homosexual friends that you have or the Muslim friends or, or whatever, what it, whoever it is, you have to enter into their world. And if we hit them over the head with a bunch of theology without finding out what they value, they're not going to understand what you're talking about. Now, this, this is what I do know, is that the Holy Spirit, there are times that I've seen things like that where the Holy Spirit works anyway. In, in fact, maybe that's happening tonight. Maybe in spite of all my words and all my inability to present the gospel perfectly, God still speaks. I know he does. And so God will work even when we don't get it right. But, guys, let's present the gospel in a way that people understand that's what Paul does here. Paul preaches the gospel to these guys in a way that they understand. Okay, so what we're going to see here as he goes into this is a pre presentation of the gospel to people who understood and valued, maybe more than anything else, the Old Testament scriptures. These guys that he's talking to, they already, they got the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, they're in synagogue because they're, they're learning these things. And so he's going to go back to the beginning and try to help them see from their value system, from their perspective, who Jesus is. Okay? So, verse 17. The, this is what he says. The God of the people of Israel. Now, I just want you guys to think why he says God, the God of the people of Israel. He says that because he wants them to know. He's, he's saying, I'm, a, I understand, I'm not just talking about any God out there. I'm talking about the God that you guys value. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. I want to ask you guys, if you have your own Bible, underline the word chose. I want you guys to see something here. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made, underline that, he made. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt 
with mighty power. Underline this. He led them out of that country. Verse 18. He endured, underline that. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. Verse 19. He overthrew, underline that, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land, underline that, underline that word gave, gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took 450 years. Okay, you guys underline those? God chose, God made, God led, God endured, God overthrew, God gave. What's this story about? It's about God. It's about what God did. And it's about what God did. Here's what's interesting. It's about what God did over a 450-year period. Paul, in this sermon, he's talking to these people, trying to connect with them on their level. And in less than a minute, he summarizes 450 years of their history. And I was thinking, how long is it? 450 years. I want you guys to think back 450 years. 450, 2019 minus 450 is what? I told you to bring your calculators. Was it? Dude, you're awesome. 1569. The year was 15, 450 years ago. It was 1560. Think about how long 450 years is. Okay, if we ask you, in less than 30 seconds, would you summarize, summarize American history in the last four, 450 years? It'd be hard to do. So Paul summarizes what happened in those 450. 50 years. Okay, the, the point is, the point that Paul's making is that a lot happened in those early years of Israel's history that God did. That's the point here. God did this. And it might have all seemed random. Those 450 years you read through, and I was like, man, is there, they're here, they're there, they're up and down, they're back and forth, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. People are sinning, people are getting killed, people are dying, people are killing. I mean, crazy stuff happening. They end up in slavery. All this stuff, it seems like, God, where are you? Paul's point is God was involved in all this. For that 450-year period, God was involved. It might have seemed all random, but God was doing something with the nation of Israel, and he was doing it, listen to this, he was doing it for a reason. You guys with me? This is where Paul's starting. God did something, God was doing all this stuff, and he was doing it for a reason. Here's what I want to ask you guys. What was the reason? What was the reason that God was, was preparing this nation for something great? What did he have in mind? Say it again. The arrival of Jesus because, yeah, that's right. He, but he tells, remember, who's the first guy that he calls? The first, who? Abraham. He calls Abraham. He's like, hey, Abraham, my friend, I got a plan. You and I, we're going to do something great. Actually, it's going to be, God says, I'm going to do something great through you. And this is what I'm going to do. You guys remember what he did? Where, here, here, here's pop quiz. Where, where does God tell Abraham what he's going to do? It's one of the most important little phrases in the Bible because if you don't get that, you don't understand what the Bible's all about. Genesis, what is it? Genesis 23 is good. Back up a little more. Get back up a little more. Genesis 12. I, I'm, I'm making you guys guess because I want you to think about it because I want you to write this scripture in your mind, okay? Genesis 12. You guys with me? So guys, look at Genesis 12, 1 and 2. And if you want to put that up there, Skylar, it'd be great. Genesis 12. 
If you got it. Okay. Okay. Ebi Chan's going to read it. Here you go, man. Uh, what am I reading? One and two? One and two. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Okay. You notice where he stopped? He didn't finish it, did he? <laughs> then it's my fault. Okay, let's go on to three. So you did finish what I told you. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay. Here's the most important part. Here's, so he's like, hey, I want, you come out of your land, which is modern-day Iraq, and I'm going to take you to land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to do it all because you're such a great guy. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. Look at verse 3. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What is God's motivation in calling Abraham to establish this nation that we call the Jews. What was his motivation? To bless the world. Guys, this is key verse. Okay? And just a side note, if God blessed the nation of Israel so that they would be a blessing to the world, that was the reason. Later on he says, I'm not blessing you guys because I'm not blessing you guys because you're good. I'm not blessing you guys because you worked hard. I'm blessing you for this reason. You can find that in Deuteronomy 8 and 9. Okay, if that's the case, that God is going to bless the Jews, that's what he's saying. I'm going to bless your descendants, Abraham, so that the world will be blessed. That's my goal. If that's the case, then what is the reason that God has blessed you guys so much? This is a, this is a real question. The reason that God has blessed you guys beyond belief, even if you're like, man, I've got a car worse than Steve's, um, even if... You don't feel like you're blessed. You are blessed. And the reason God has blessed you is for this purpose. You guys got to get this. This is key verse in the Bible. If you don't get this, you misunderstand what the purpose of God is for the Jewish people. You misunderstand what the purpose of God is for your life. God has blessed you, and he will bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. You're like, well, I thought he's blessed me because I worked hard. Nope. He's blessing you so you can be a blessing to other people. That's, that's God's goal. God's goal hasn't changed for the Jewish people, and God's goal hasn't changed for you. God's goal for bringing people to himself is so they can turn around and, and bless other people. If you understand that, you get the secret to success. If you don't understand that, you live your life feeling like you never have enough. In fact, you can look at the people who never have enough, and you, and you say, oh, they didn't get this. Because the, the happiest people in the world are the people that say, God, you gave me enough. Even if everybody else would say they don't, they don't have enough. Okay, you guys with me? Okay. That's the reason that God was working with the Jewish people. He had a plan for them to bless the world. Okay. So, what I want you guys to see here is not only in these, these first few verses that we've read, is this a historical account? Is, is Paul giving a, a, little, a little history summary? But I want to suggest to you guys that what Paul says here in verses up through verse 17 through 19, I think it is, 17 through 19, that this is actually prophetic. I just want you to think about this. 
that there's that there's so much as you read in the Old Testament. I just want to invite you guys that you there's there's layers of meaning in the Old Testament all through the Bible, but especially the Old Testament. You read something, you're like, okay, here's a place, and here's they, this guy went from here to there. You read it, and it's a historical story. It's about something that happened. But in almost every case that you have some interesting story, and you're thinking, I'm not sure what all this means, there is a meaning, a deeper meaning that is prophetic. So I've gotten to the point where when I'm reading Old Testament stuff, I know the stories. And the, the, the thrill for me is digging under the, under the surface and finding, okay, what's the prophetic significance of this historical thing that happened? Does that make sense? Okay. And we might touch on some of those tonight if we still have time. But So I want you guys to look at what we just read in, in verses 17 through 19, this historical thing of what happened over a period of 450 years. And let's, let's just see if we can catch what prophetic significance this might have. This is about the nation of Israel. Okay. So do you guys, should, we, should we read that one more time? Okay, so let's read it one more time. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made them prosper during their time in Egypt. He led them out of that country. He led them out of Egypt. He endured their conduct. He overthrew his seven nations, and he gave them the promised land as their inheritance. Okay. Let me just give you a hint. First, the first one. The prophetic significance of this, of the years that they spend in Egypt. He's talking about their time in Egypt, right? You guys with me? Okay, you guys are going to get real excited here in a second. They're talking about their time in Egypt. Here, let me, let me just say, the prophetic significance of what happened in Egypt during those 450 years is representative of a future time when the Jewish people would be scattered all over the world. Okay? Just ask yourself, is, is it possible that that's a prophetic foreshadowing of something that is to come. Okay? Are you guys with me? Okay? So time, Egypt, if you're taking notes, write Egypt and draw an arrow and write the word diaspora or the scattering of the Jews around the world. Okay? Okay, let's talk about a second one. Do you guys remember how the Jews were scattered later on? Okay, do you guys, do you guys let me just explain a little bit of the history because I, I know some people don't got it. Okay. In the, Jew, the Jews, the, what we're, we just read about, that 450-year period is approximately 2,000 B.C. to 1,500 B.C., okay? You guys with me? 1,500 B.C., out of Egypt, into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, the, the land that God said he'd give them. 1,000 B.C., King David. Fast forward about 400 years, and because the people have disobeyed, God's, God takes them out of the land. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. He takes them out of the land of Israel and scatters them around the world. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what happened. Okay? So, second prophetic significance that I want you guys to see in, this, in these few verses is where it says, he led them out of that country. Well, if that country, the country is Egypt, right? And that represents what? Well, here's the test to see if you guys are still with me. Egypt represent the prophetic significance of Egypt. I'm asking, might, might represent the scattering of the Jews around the nations of the world. And if, the, if 
At the end of that period, God, brings, God leads them out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land. The prophetic significance of that is what? My, would be what? The what? The, yeah, the, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, which has happened, when did that happen? It's been, yeah, 1948 was the big date. 1948, 1967, but, it's, but the, the, the big amount of the Jews have returned to Israel in the past 30 years from all over the world. It's happening right now. It's unbelievable what's happening. And this is prophecy coming true as, as you guys are growing up. It's unbelievable. Okay, so one thing is Egypt. Egypt, Egypt prophetic representation of what was, would happen in the diaspora where the Jews are scattered in every country in the world. God leads them out of Egypt to the promised land. Prophetic significance is that they, re they return, which has just happened. It's happening today. There's new, there's new Jews arriving back in the promised land right now, this week. Okay, the third one is where he, in, in verse 18, we're told that God endured their conduct for a period of about 40 years. What's the prophetic significance of God enduring their bad conduct? Well, there's, that's close. Okay, this is what it is. The, prof the prophetic significance of God enduring their conduct is that for 2,000 years, the Jewish people have rejected their Messiah. But here's what I want you guys to get. Guys, you got to get this. If you can understand the Bible, you got to get this. God has not given up on the Jewish people. He ain't given up. And there's people that will tell you that he gave up. In fact, that was big theology 200 years ago. 300, 400 years ago, because Israel was gone. Nobody spoke Hebrew. Nobody spoke Hebrew until, I mean, Hebrew was a dead language. The only people that spoke Hebrew were, pe were the, the people that copied it. Nobody spoke Hebrew. Now, there's millions of people that speak Hebrew. The Jews, that's the language of, the, of Israel, is Hebrew. So because Israel was gone, they're I mean, the, the idea that the, the Jews would come back to their own land was was that's like saying one day the Native Americans are going to rule this country again? I'm just like, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's inconceivable. But it happened. It has happened. So a lot of the, the theology that people have built about uh, uh, that was what's called replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel and the promises that God had made to Israel really didn't stand with Israel anymore. Instead, they're all applied to the Church of Jesus. Guys, that's not what the Bible teaches. God says, I will, I will fulfill every promise to my people. That God promises that. Okay? So his promises to Israel that seemed impossible to ever come true, that, that Bible teachers excused the way, now have come true. They're coming true. The promises are coming true. So, in spite of all this, the people have rejected their Messiah, Jesus. But the prophetic significance of him enduring their misconduct in the wilderness is prophetically a picture of them rejecting him, and he did not give up on them. He endured. Okay, how about, how about verse 19? Is there any prophetic significance to this phrase? He overthrew seven nations in Canaan. Canaan is a synonym for the Holy Land. 
Palestine, Israel. What is the prophetic significance of him overthrowing seven nations? It's not all the wars. It's not all the wars. I want you guys to think about this. Who the Think about this. It, it doesn't mention his, the guy's name right here. But the guy who led the campaign to overthrow those seven nations in the promised land, his name was Joshua. And Joshua in Hebrew is said how in Greek or English? Jesus. <gasps> okay. And let's just think about that. So is there ever, is there ever a, a time that where this, where what happened in Canaan there at the end of this 450 years as Joshua goes in and defeats these seven nations, is there ever a time when Jesus defeats seven nations to, for, the, for the sake of his people in the promised land? Does anybody know? I mean, when he comes back, yeah, when he, it is when he comes back. And what happens? He, he leads the campaign. Revelation, if you guys are taking notes, we, won't look at all, we, can, we can look at all these scriptures. Revelation 19, Jesus comes back, and his armies are with him. And there's, set, there's a, do you guys remember the seven-headed beast that stands against him? And we're told what that, that seven-headed beast is, what those seven heads are. What are those seven heads? Seven kingdoms. And Jesus, the champion, who loves those people and died for those people, when they attack him, they lose, and he's victorious. Okay, another, and, and another, it's probably a different, it's probably after a, a thousand years later that it happens again in, in Ezekiel 38, where seven more nations come against his people and lose. Okay, there's a prophetic, you guys catch the prophetic significance of what happened back there in those 450 years. Okay, okay. Okay, and then, the, and then where we're told that he gives them their land as inheritance. This is prophetic significance of the time where that, the land of Israel, that, that piece of property, finally, is under the sovereignty of God's people. Okay, now, is there anything else? Let me ask you this. This is where it gets real exciting. We're going to try to wrap this up. 450 years, is there any, in verse 20, is there any prophetic significance to the phrase, all this took about 450 years. Say it again. Is it a, it's not a multiple. Is, is 450 multiple of 7? Okay, this is where, this is where you got to get your calculator. So I'm going to ask you guys to, to put up with me here and try to keep up because this is, this is exciting, okay? Okay. And you guys can tell. I'm, I'm figuring this out, okay? But this, oh, he, Roger brought his calculator. Thank you, brother. Okay. Here's where it is. Okay, the four. We got to get make sure we got understand what this 450 year period is. The 450 year period is the period from when to when. Okay, look at your Bibles. Say it again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's about that time. But what happens? What's what's the what? What happens between on those bookends of that 450 year period? So it's basically what 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 we're told is that it's the time. Before they go into the promised land, okay? Now look at now look at Exodus twelve forty. I want you guys to see something here, okay? Exodus twelve forty, we're told something really interesting. Exodus twelve forty says this. Now this is this is you know what Exodus is about? It's them leaving Egypt. 
They're going out of Egypt. It's the night of the Passover. The night of the Passover, and this is what it records. Now, the length of the time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Do you guys see that? Are you guys looking with me? Okay, how long were they in, in how long were the children of Israel in Egypt according to Exodus 430 years? Okay, so Paul says, Paul, Paul mentions this 450-year period, and um, you guys can, can work on figuring out why he says 450 years when actually Exodus is 430 years. And the reason probably is because Joseph, you guys remember Joseph was there about 20 years before. Okay, so that's probably the reason. But there's a 430-year period that ends with them being set free. Okay? Okay, so if what Paul is preaching in Acts 13 has prophetic significance, then what would be the significance of these 430 years? And it would mean, just think about this, it would mean if, if Egypt represents what? We just talked about what Egypt represents. The scattering of the people around the world. If, the, 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 if Egypt represents four, um, the scattering around the world, and 430 years represents something, it must be the length of time that the Jews are scattered around the world. You guys with me? It must represent something. So here's my question. Where have, has there ever been a time, has this ever happened, when the Jews have been taken out of their homeland for a period of 430 years? And we scratch our heads and say, I can't find any place where it's 430 years. Okay, right? Okay. Well, they have been taken out of their land, so you guys stay with me. I hope you guys are, are this is going to blow your mind if we can do this. Okay. Okay, when, when were they taken out of the land? Come on, guys, you got to read your Bible. Yes, Roger knows. So, okay, 70 A.D., was was a yeah the fall of Jerusalem seventy eighty but they had never they were at that time they were still scattered around the world there had been a few people a few that had come back um, at the end of the original captivity but really few had come back compared I mean they they never did come back in fact the Jews that had been moved from 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 Israel to Persia the Jews that had been moved from Israel to Babylon they were still living there thirty five years ago seriously I mean it's unbelievable. They've been living there all the time. So most of them did not come back at, at, after the, the first captivity. But that captivity, that first period of captivity started, or, or maybe I should say was finalized, when? Approximately when? Okay. About 600. Great. Who's was that? Dude. Okay. Six, six, 606 B.C. was when, what's the king that came and attacked Jerusalem? It was Babylon. What was his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you. So six, 606 B.C. And, the, and, and guys, you've got to study your Bible because this is going to get real exciting for you. But 606 B.C., the prophet Jeremiah had said that there would be a captivity that would last how long? Seventy years. Okay. So in, uh, so, and here's where you've got to be careful because 70 years doesn't necessarily add up because every calendar that you find before 701 B.C., was a 600, I mean, it was a 360-day calendar. And starting in 701 B.C., the calendars, for some reason or another, where there's some reason probably for this, but they switched to 365-day years. So almost all the biblical pro prophecies are, 306, are, are counted in 360-day years. So, so when we talk about 70 years from this date, it doesn't necessarily come out exactly to what you 
you would think is seven years because we're counting using 365 day years, okay? Is that confusing? Yes, it is confusing. But <laughs> the, the end of this 70-year period was a period was when, when King Cyrus of, of Persia defeated Babylon, took over Babylon, the first thing he did is um, the prophet Daniel handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he, and he read in the scroll of Isaiah that his name is recorded there, and he said, this is cool. This was written 200 years ago, and my name's in this book as the leader of the world, and this book says that I, that I released the captives, and I'm doing that. He released the captives in, in six, he, he became the emperor of the Persian Empire in, in five, sorry, 539, remember this is BC, so we're going BC, 539 BC, and he releases the captives to return to their homelands, not just the Jewish captives, but all the captives that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive. A lot of people didn't go, but they go back in, in about, so about 537 BC is, is basically the end of their captivity. So there's about 70, 70 year period there, okay? Okay, now, King Nebuchadnezzar had defeated Jerusalem at this time. You guys didn't know you were getting a history lesson, but I hope you're interested. Okay, he came back because they rebelled. And, the sec and he came back two other times, first in 597 B.C., but that one's not as important. So the important one, when he finally took everybody out of the land, was five. He came back in 587 B.C. The, the siege was complete, and, and the temple was burned, and the city was raised to the ground a year later. But 587 B.C., if we, if we count the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied, that brings us to um, f about 517 approximately 517, 518, which is when the temple in Jerusalem, the foundation was laid. Okay, okay. So, we talked about 430 years of, of having of the Jewish people being in the nations, right? Okay, well, that wasn't, that wasn't 430 years. That was seven years. Okay. Now, if we had time, we'd look, we'd look at Ezekiel 4 where there's a 430-year period talked about. We're not going to look there now because we don't have time. But I do want to look at one verse in Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 says, if, when you get out, when, when I discipline you, people, if you still won't obey me, I am going to multiply your punishment seven times. Okay. So let me, let me just say, there's 430 years that, that, they, that they have to pay. Okay. 430 years... Minus 70 comes out to be what? So they, they, paid, they paid 70 years here, right? They paid 70 years. So, so they got 360 years in debt. But the, in Leviticus 26, the Lord said, if, you're gonna, if you don't obey me, I'm going to multiply your, your punishment by seven, by seven times. That comes out to how many years? Exactly. 25, 25, 20. Okay, 25, 20. Okay, so now remember, how, how, how many days in a year? Okay, we count by 365, but the, the, the prophetic calendar, you know, that is almost always 360 days. So what you got to do to make this work is you got to multiply 2520 by 360, and, okay, and then divide by 365, okay? Okay, what is it? 2485. So what you got is you got 2485. And if this is your first time here, guys, we don't do a lot of math. <laughs> but 
but th this is going to blow your mind. Okay, so you get 24, approximately 24, 85 years. Okay, so now you say, okay, 24, 85 years. If the pattern is right, you, t you say, okay, that 24, 85, when, when, did that, when did that start? Did it start here? No, because that's when the 70 years started. 70 years started and the balance was paid times 7. So what we do is we got to take this date and we got to add this to it. And what does it come out to? 1948. What happened in, on May 15 of 1948? Israel's, Israel declared their independence and the state of Israel was born. Now, if we take this date and we, and we do it, what date does that come out to? Oh, come on. Get your calculators. Okay. Yep. Uh, minus 517. 517 BC. Oh, guys, remember. Here, here's what you got to remember also. There is no year zero. Okay? So, and these... So, so 517, and you, come on, and you go this many, this many years, 19, but there's no, there's no year zero, so it's 1967, what happened in June, in June of 1967? No, nope, that was 73. What happened, what happened, um, seven day, seven day war, what happened, what, what happened on, on, in the seven day, in the, on the, or six day war? What happened in the six day war? And what, the, for the first time in all these years, what happened in, in June of 1967 is Jews reached the Temple Mount and had control of Jerusalem. It's probably just coincidence, right? Okay. Okay, here's what I want to say about all this, guys. I've got... Um, uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows that, that, that the Jewish people, that God is not done with the Jewish people yet. But the Jewish people, the calling that Jewish people have is from Genesis 12, which is what? Please, please, please don't, don't tell me I failed. To bless the world, including, including the millions of, of Arabs that live in the land. Okay? When I've been in Israel, and for those of you that I take to Israel, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with the Arab people. That's, I'm with Arab Christians. Um, I don't know the, the Jewish people so, so well. I want to. But there are, there are precious, God-loving Arab believers in the land of Israel who have lost so much. And the only way to bring peace to this situation, and I don't know if, you know, a lot of you guys are like, well, I don't know, I've heard about it, but guys, you guys don't this is this is the number one. I mean, you think about the border problems here in the States or whatever all the things are that the government is trying to deal with. This is nothing. The, the, the most divisive issue in the world is the issue over who owns this land, this little piece of land. And the reason is because God owns it. And God... God has promised that the Jewish people would have that piece of land, whether you like it or not, but that they are, are there to be there for the sake of the whole world, including the Arab people that live in the land. Now, there's people who, if they heard me say that, might want to shoot me. Seriously. So, uh, I don't know who's... You guys, this is on podcast. You guys can listen to the podcast, but just be careful who you share this with, because th this kind of thing gets people angry. Um, 
Okay, we're out of time. But this is what I want to leave you guys with. Do you think it's possible that this book has divine inspiration? What I, ju- what I just talked about here, I don't have this all figured out yet. I spent way too much time today trying to figure all these numbers out. Um, but I'm excited by it. So if you guys want to, I need some of you mathematicians to really go through and count the days. And it makes it hard because, because calendars have changed over time. They've added 15 days, you know, in, in 1580, they added 15 days to the calendar to make up for leap years and things like that. So it makes it hard, but I'd be interested in what, what Chuck Missler, Chuck Missler is a Bible teacher. He's, he says, and I'm able to figure out his calculations, but he says he's figured this out to the very day. That the, if you, count, you count the number of days, he's figured it out to the day. When? Uh, May 14, 1948, and June 8, 1967. It's pretty amazing. Guys, this is a great book. I want to ask you guys to live your life on this. And if you're, if you're not involved in a small group or if you're not involved in Bible study, please talk to me. We want to get you connected. Also, all of our, our small group leaders, would you raise your hands? These are our small group leaders. We've got small groups that meet here. You can raise your hand, too. We've got, we got small groups that meet here almost every night of the week, and it's worth being a part of that because not only do you get time in the Word and prayer, but you get community, too. Okay, let's stand up and let's pray. We're going to pray together, and then just, let me just remind you, if you've come for, if you need special prayer, like Spencer did last week, Spencer, Spencer's leg got healed last week, um, we've got a prayer team in the prayer room, you guys can go in there right after that, and we'll pray. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I just ask you to continue to teach us. Thank you so much that this book that was written by, uh, 66 books that were written by so many authors over a period of 1,500 years that it applies to our lives today. Thank you that we, can p- that we can put our trust in what you've said. Thank you that we can put our trust in you. Thank you that your promises never, never fail, that your promises to Israel never fail, that your promises to the Arab people who live in Israel never fail, and that your promises to us never fail. And so we put our trust in you, and we look forward to the day when we get to see you, Lord Jesus, face to face. Would you bless my friends here, bless every one of them, that you'd help them to follow you with everything they have. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.